Bread comes in many different varieties, but the only bread that nourishes our souls, hearts, and lives is Jesus Christ. Bread of Life is sponsored by the Bread of Life Fellowship of Boise, Idaho. You can contact us by calling us at 208-331-4096. That number again is 208-331-4096. Join us now for the Bread of Life. Here's Joel Van Hoogen. Hebrews 12.5 calls upon the Christians in the church to look out for one another. They are to look out so that no one might fall short of God's saving grace. And they're to look out so that these individuals don't cause others to do the same. This would indicate that not everyone who professes to be a child of God in the midst of the church is a child of God. So what are we to look out for to guide those who are with us but not really with God to come all the way over into His saving arms? this outline, this pattern of the individuals gathering for the purpose of lovingly driving one another on to a life that gave a testament that I'm at peace, I'm whole in Christ, and I'm wanting to be holy. That's an assumption that's here. It's a dynamic that's being assumed will take place within the family of God. Here's a third assumption. It's the last one we'll look at this morning, and then next week we'll look at these warnings. The third assumption here is that looking carefully requires a faithful examination and warns against an unfaithful presumption. You know what presumption is? It's when you just assume that things are, everything's good. In fact, I don't even want to know if there's any other, let's just, let's just say it's good. Let's say it's all right. I don't want to deal with any bad information. I don't want to be disappointed. So let's just assume presumption, right? It requires a faithful examination and warns against an unfaithful presumption. Back to 1 John. 1 John was written so that the evidences of the new birth could be discovered by a true child of God. If you read the book of 1 John, you'll see that John mentions three evidences over and over again that reveal that you've been born again of Jesus Christ, that you have a new life in Him. One is that you love God and you love God's people. That's one of them. It's stated over and over again. Another one is that you love God's word, you follow his commands. You don't continue in the same patterns of sin. God begins to take you out of those patterns and change your life. And the third one is that the spirit of God lives in you and he ignites an understanding of God's word that you've never had before. All of a sudden, you read the word and it makes sense to you. You don't need for somebody else to come along and tell you what the Bible means. The spirit begins to tell you what it means. And, and as you read it, the spirit has continued to communicate it to you. And that makes you love him more. And that makes you want to obey him more. And there's a principle that just keeps building momentum in your life. The idea that's here. Look what Peter says in 2 Peter 1.10. And by the way, paying attention for these evidences in your life are important. They're important because they will produce one of two results. One is they'll bring great assurance to the person who truly has received Jesus as their Savior and been changed because it's not a theoretical idea. It's not just a belief statement where you've just said, well, here's my doctrine in life, but you see it's actually impacting the way you live. God is real because He's real in me and He's changing me and it's tremendously encouraging. But the other result was that it will not only encourage the person who's truly been saved, but it will correct those who might be thinking they're saved, but they're not might be presuming that they're saved and not. So it's good that they look for these evidences. And they're actually being encouraged to look for those evidences. And that's what Hebrews, in Hebrews 12, is happening here. Is the church is being encouraged to look among one another for these evidences as well. Peter writes it this way in 2 Peter 1.10. And now he's not just writing to the individual, he's writing to them as a whole. He says, make 
your calling and election sure. We understand that for a person to become a Christian, God has to call them. God brings them to his electing grace where he chooses them for his salvation. Peter isn't saying here, save yourself. Peter isn't saying, call yourself. Peter isn't saying, you know, you you bring yourself into salvation. What Peter is saying is, examine yourself to see whether you've been called. Examine yourself to make sure that you're elect and chosen of God. Examine yourself to see if they're the expressions of a genuine saving work of God in your life. It's the same thing that Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, 5. There Paul says that you're to look at yourselves to see if you're, test yourself to see if you are in the faith. Or don't you know, Paul writes, that Christ is in you unless you fail the test. So here's the test, by the way. It isn't a test of, well, I believe these things. I believe these Christian truths. I believe that Jesus was the Son of God. I believe that He died and rose again from the grave. I believe that He wants to come and forgive me of my sins. It's not just a test of what you believe. I grew up in a family that believes all those things. I grew up being raised to think that way. That's not what the test is. It's not a test, not only what you believe, but it's not a test to your performance in a sense. Well, I go to church every Sunday and I pray on a regular basis and I try to be a good person and that's not the test either. It's not a test to see whether you're following certain laws and rules to be a Christian. It's a test to see if Christ is in you. Don't you know if Christ is in you? That is, is the life of Jesus revealing itself in me by making me and changing me into a life that I can't explain except that Jesus is in me? Is he producing something in me and a life in me that I can't make sense of unless God came into my life and changed me? That's what you're supposed to see. That's what you're supposed to look at. About a week ago, actually I've done this twice in the last week, sat down and gone over with a couple individuals who were struggling about this very same thing and said, well, let's just go through a test. We're supposed to be looking out for this type of stuff. So here they are. Let me list them for you very quickly. Has the Spirit of Christ awakened me to my deep need of a Savior? And does He keep me awake to that sense of need? You know, the Christian is a person who's woke up and said, man, this is how it began. I'm in trouble. There is a profound issue in my life that I can't resolve by the answers that people are giving me or by the wisdom of this world. God, you're going to have to save me. I don't even know what the answer is, but you're going to have to help me because I can't do this. And you know how the Christian lives his life? The exact same way. We start getting confidence in ourselves, but at some point in time, we continue to wake up and say, wait a second, I can't do this. Has God awakened you to your need of a Savior, and does He keep you awake on a regular basis to that need? Here's another one. Has the Spirit granted you repentance from your own pursuit of being better than somebody else or being good enough for God, as well as waking you up to repent of your sins? You know, you have to repent of both. Not simply all the terrible things you've done, But this idea that, I know I've done a lot of bad things, but if I'm just a little better than this guy, God will accept me. Has God showed you that all of it is worthless and you've got to stop moving in that direction? That's what repentance is. God, I turn from my sin and I turn from my attempt to somehow prove myself worthy for you by my actions. Not only have you repented of that, but has he continued to renew in you that life of repentance? Because, you know, our tendency is to go back to performance. To go back to trying to do our best. I know I did wrong there, but if I just do these things here, I can straighten it all out. And The Spirit of Christ says, you got got to repent of that approach in life. 
Is Jesus working in you, granting you repentance and keeping you and renewing in you that work of repentance? Here's another one. Has Jesus through the Spirit led you to a faith where you have trusted in Jesus' work alone to save you from the penalty and the power and one day the presence of sin? In other words, I know, Jesus, that you died in my place my sins to suffer the judgment I receive, and I believe you. I trust in you to be the one that rescues the penalty of my sin. I see in myself a power within my own flesh that drives me to do those things that I don't want to do, but I believe you, Jesus, that you would live in me to change me and make me into the man you want me to be. And Jesus, I believe you're coming again one day, and you're going to take me to glory, where you're going to remove me from all these, the presence of evil all around me. That's what saving faith does. I got news for you. It doesn't just do it once. I believe in Jesus for that, and I'm saved, and I'm renewed, but then as I grow in my Christian life, as Christ is in me, my confidence that he can save me from the penalty and the power and the presence of sin becomes my hope and becomes the thing that leads me on in how I live my life. Here's another one. Has there been a radical change in your goals and directions in life? From before you met Christ to when you met him. And is he constantly reminding you that you're supposed to be living in a different direction? Here's another one. With that change, is the spirit of Jesus living within me, giving me power to live a life I couldn't live without him? Am I becoming something that I can't explain other than Jesus living in me? Don't you know that Christ is in you? Here's another one. By the power of Jesus living within me, has he put me in, listen to this one, has he put me in a fight against my own self and my own fleshly desires and my own temptations and my own sins? Having Christ living within me, has he put me into a fight against Satan and where Satan is against me and I'm against Satan because Satan doesn't want me to succeed. He wants me to fail and so he tempts me and I'm at a battle I never knew before. So if you've given your life to the Lord Jesus, all of a sudden, as never before, you're against the tendency of your old life. You don't want to live that way anymore. You're opposed to it. You're opposed to yourself and the instinct of your fleshly desires. You're opposed to the things that the world tells you you need to have to have satisfaction in your life. You're opposed to the suggestion of the enemy who's always trying to lead you into compromise. He left you alone to a large part when you're on his side. When you gave your life to Christ, you declared that you were opposed to him, and now he's really opposed to you. And so he's going to confront you and encounter to you and try to drag you away. Are you in that battle? Are you in that fight? And in the middle of that battle and that fight, does Jesus living within you call out to you and say, I'll give you victory. I'm here to empower you. I'll enable you. You were born for this battle. You're my son. You're my daughter, you're my child. Or don't you know that Christ is in you? We should not presume on these things for ourselves or for others. The presumptuous person, by asking these questions, will be helped not to rest in a faith that is in name only. They'll be turned away from an idea that I'm a Christian because I hang out with other Christians and I believe certain things and they'll avoid the potential of one day becoming before the Lord Jesus and hearing the words that we read in our scripture reading, depart from me, I never knew you. Didn't we just walk in the streets where you walk? Didn't we commune with you and talk to you and eat with you? And Yes, you did because wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. And if you've been around other Christians, you've been experiencing something in my presence, but I don't know you. What an awful thing. 
These questions are not harsh or unkind questions. They're loving questions. They're gracious questions. They're not pointing people back to laws they follow. They're pointing them back to a life Jesus would give you if you'd believe in Him and trust in Him. Asking these questions will also bless the frightened and discouraged Christian. will help them to see that though they stumble and they falter and they fall, God has left the mark of His saving work on them and all over them. And in that, they find assurance and they can rest in what Jesus has freely given them in Himself. So, let's not be presumptuous. Let's understand these things. Let's look to our lives. Let's look to one another's lives. Here's an application. I think this is important for all of us. I think for us to practice this, we have to love one another and spend time with one another and be with one another. Speak openly and truthfully for one another. We need the Spirit to fill us and to flow out from us so that it's an outflowing expression of His life wanting to bless those around us. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Thanks for joining us today at the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship of Boise, Idaho. Our fellowship meets every Sunday to worship at 11 a.m. in the Old White Church in the Warm Springs area of Boise. 1023 East State Street is our address. Our focus is to know Christ in every arena of life and to make Him known in those same places. For a copy of today's message, you can call us at 208-331-4096 or you can go to our website at breadoflifeboise.org to learn more. Until the next time, may God bless you.